This episode brought to you by Stamps.com. Why go to the store to get stamps when you can have them printed right at home for your convenience? Also brought to you by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Nostalgia Critic Guy, remember it so you don't have to. Everybody has that movie that they kind of go through phases with. Sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't, but it always sticks with them. Sword in the Stone is one of those movies for me. Released in 1963, this Disney film is a unique mix of a lot of contradictions. For example, it feels timeless, but also really feels like it was released in 1963. It has a beatnik feel to it, like, hey man, what if we told one of the greatest stories ever before it was one of the greatest stories ever? And like, nothing happens in it. Like they turn into fish, birds, and squirrels, and that's it, they, they just turn into fish, birds, and squirrels. Snap for me, baby, yeah. Now there's nothing wrong with small stories. Some of my favorite things ever made are small stories, but there's often a beauty to the ones that last over the years. Sword in the Stone isn't beautiful as much as laid back. Nothing especially important is being taught that most people going in don't know, but you could argue it's being experienced. Yeah, you kind of forget how cool the world can be with something as simple as birds flying or fish swimming or squirrels climbing trees. It doesn't knock you over the head with it, but it speaks to kids who love how neat the little things are, and I guess adults too, being reminded of how neat the little things are. It combines simple reality and whimsical fantasy, past mindsets with future ideas, shows off yet still stays kind of quiet, and has plenty of flaws, however, they're flaws you grow to like. For years when someone would ask me if it's good, I'd go back and forth between saying it's brilliant or it's boring. Maybe its identity is somewhere in between, and maybe in a strange way, that's what it's going for. Nah, I've introduced it long enough, let's start really examining it. This is, yeah, I guess a personal favorite the more I think about it, the Sword in the Stone. I love people kind of forget how seriously the film opens up. We always think of the bouncy songs with playful lyrics, but you'd swear this singer thought he was auditioning for Ave Maria and Fantasia. And that miracle appeared in love. Okay, Sugar Bowl's gonna fight a teapot in it. Calm down. But that is kind of what works about it. There is an underlying weight to what's going on because we know these characters are going to be some of the most important in storytelling history. And even though they don't dwell on that, though it'd be very easy to, it's still present. They say England is without a king, the Dark Ages has begun, and a mysterious sword in the stone appeared declaring whoever pulls it out will be king. No one can do so, and thus we cut to Merlin, played by Carl Swenson, who if you're like me, was your introduction to wizards. I know a lot of kids now have Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there is a bit of an OG mentality having a blue pointy hat guy named Merlin be your first intro. He's perfectly bumbling, but still has knowledge beyond his years as this version has gone to see the future. I have the power to see into the future. I, I've even been there, lad. We never do see him going to the future, but I think that's part of the fun. 
I think it's more fun if we just imagine him going there and what his reactions would be. Especially with the little hints we get here and there. From Bermuda and the 20th century. And believe me, you can have it. We're then introduced to his husband, I mean pet, an owl named Archimedes, who he constantly argues with. He doesn't believe that Merlin can predict that somebody important is going to be arriving at their house. He'll be a boy. 11, 12 years old. Uh, he will have a big key and I will give him many annoying side missions. The person on his way is of course a boy named Arthur, played by... I think any boy who walked by the studio. That, that big fish almost swallowed me and he was a monster. The biggest fish I ever saw. Apparently the original actor Ricky Sorensen's voice was changing so one of the directors switched him out with his two sons. And you can uh, <clears throat> barely tell. Oh, sir, actor. Whoa, what? Whoa! Sorry, my balls can't decide if they're dropping or not. Arthur is out with his kind of brother Kay, who get this, is Lou from Back to the Future. And I swear is drawn like every American's face doing a bad British accent. Quiet, Ward. Nobody asked you to come along in the first place. Oh, made me right angry what you did, what, what? Arthur literally drops into Merlin's home and I absolutely love Merlin's reaction when he asks him his name. Oh, my name's Arthur, but everyone calls me Wart. Oh. I'll be sure to clean that seat thoroughly after you're done sitting in it. I happen to be a wizard, a soothsayer, a prognosticator, a meme generator! They get along rather quick and I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about the animation. This was done after 101 Dalmatians revolutionized a new Xerox way of animating. So in some respects, you're seeing the rough pencil drawings as well as the painted cells. Compare this to both older and more modern Disney animated films and you can see a clear difference. And I will admit, I do kind of go back and forth on it. I'm a sucker for seeing the pencil drawings of a film because you do see what went into each frame of movement. And the sketchy look does add personality to things with hair or wrinkly skin. On the other hand, it is odd being told this is a finished product when you can clearly see ink splotches and lines not filled in. But I don't know, the film I think is supposed to have an old rustic look to it. It is the Dark Ages, so I kind of go along with it. But I've got to get back to the castle. When Arthur says he has to go, Merlin insists that he comes with him. Because an old man living with a boy he just met is fine. No, really, it was destiny that we met anyway. And he partakes in a lot of people's favorite moment, packing his home into his bag. The songs are by the legendary songwriters, the Sherman Brothers, and though most of them are pretty much read as opposed to sung. Shatner will have an album out on this soon. They're still crazy memorable. There's a cute moment where this wolf tries to eat them, leading to some good slapstick, but I never noticed there is some good stuff with the characters here. I don't have any problems. Oh, pa, everybody's got problems. Arthur insisting he has no problems, just chores, clearly shows he's humble, but has no idea what he's capable of. Merlin insisting magic can't solve all your problems, despite not knowing what Arthur's legacy is yet, is also very telling. I like he doesn't build up that he will be something great, but rather he can be something great. Again, it'd be so easy to have Merlin just aware he's gonna be king, but by not having that in there, everything they're saying is just a good life lesson in general. It's not like this is good advice for someone who's gonna be a powerful person, it's just good advice for anyone to live a decent life. Again, it's a little thing, but I think it means a lot. 
were then shown his foster father, Sir Ector, played by Sebastian Cabot. He usually plays these very dignified characters, so it's kind of fun to watch him play someone who's a bit of a dumbass. Who are you? Uh, uh, oh, uh, I mean, uh, you. It'd be so easy to make him a villain, but he's really more a product of the times. He doesn't know what to do with this kid. He just gives him chores and tells him to stay out of the way so he can focus on the one he thinks has more promise. I mean, jeez, the kid is a thief stealing from other Disney films, for God's sake. Actually, this one's so low budget, it steals from its own animation half the time. Merlin introduces himself and says he wants to develop Arthur's skills, but when he says no, Merlin persuades him with his powers. Hey, Kay, hey, would you look at this? An indoor blizzard. So what? I can make a tsunami in me chamber pot, I can what what? He's put in the North Tower, which by God does this thing have personality. <laughs> it looks like if Rapunzel's tower was begging for money. When Sir Pelinor arrives, saying it's decided the crown will go to whoever can win a championship of strength. Oh, also, this is Alfred from Batman. I have no joke, that's just cool. King of all England. They start training Kay, and once again, I love that Arthur, despite being a goof-up, is still a hard worker and takes joy in what he does. Even if deep down he knows it's nothing, he wants to do that nothing the best he can. Never complaining and trying to be as helpful as possible. For many kids, this is their introduction to King Arthur, and I don't think it's a bad one. I think it's better to know him first as an unassuming nobody before he becomes one of the world's most historic somebodies. Also, he's a fish. I've never been a fish, it's cool. Every flick of a fin creates movement. So this is the beginning of the transformations into different animals. Merlin is teaching him how to see things from different points of view and how many different worlds and environments there are to live in. And yeah, again, you could see this as kind of boring. It's not like Finding Nemo where there's an enchanted wonderland of ocean and tons of colorful worlds to explore. You're in a shithole pond. Hell, it might literally be a shithole. But the movie is clever at just letting you be there. It's crazy slow, but you start to relax to it. Even this lead-in with the animation on the water. I think they just switched the painted cells around so you don't see the lines. I could be wrong on that. And yeah, this isn't like an amazing shot, but you do remember it. It's something a little different shown from a neat angle, and it just lets you enjoy what a simple yet memorable visual it is. It's just so laid back. Until it isn't. Yeah, this fish scared the shit out of me as a kid. There may not be any villains, but there's certainly antagonists in this. And I swear this fish is half crocodile, half maleficent minion. He's a freaky little shit. Merlin lets him fight his own battle by using his wits, but when he can't remember the magic words, Archimedes comes to save the day, but of course denies it. I intended to eat him. Young Perch is my favorite dish. You know that. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh Archimedes, you are so much less of a bitch when you are a rabbit. Smiling face of smiles! Hello, Douglas. I am here to bring you stamps. Stamps? For your convenience. Tell me more. No. Oh, just kidding. <gasps> January means dealing with customer emails, returns, gift card purchases, and the inevitable increase in postage cost. Indeed. Indeed. Stamps.com teamed up with your post office to get you huge mailing and shipping discounts up to 86% off. It's a new year no-brainer for your small business. You mean? No. Oh. However, <gasps> you can print your own postage right from your home or office within minutes of signing up and never stress about finding the fastest and cheapest shipping solutions. Stamps.com does it for you automatically. The post office elevated! Stamps.com has amazing partnerships with USPS and...
brand new PS for unbeatable rates up to 86% off. You said that. The bear's repeating. Indeed it does! Stamps.com automatically tells you what your cheapest and fastest shipping options are. No guessing, no overpaying, no thinking required. A one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. For more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS services you need to run your business right. From your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. A stress-free solution for any small business. Yes to that thing you said. Use stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale, so you'll have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. And if you sell products online, stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Is there a deal? There is. <laughs> Start the new year by saving serious money on mailing and shipping. Get started with stamps.com today. Sign up at stamps.com slash nostalgia for a special offer that includes a four-week free trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com slash nostalgia. Well, this was a lovely talk. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's my... Oh, okay. I need a bigger reaction from you. <laughs> Honey, today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. I feel so lucky, smart, and excited when I find a good deal with Honey. Indeed you do. It feels like you're getting a treat for free. Thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. How does it work? tell you how it works. That's convenient! Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. Done. Good. When you check out, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it finds for that site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. By this past holiday season, I recall looking for a shirt and I found an offer that saved me over $3! That's crazy convenient! And conveniently crazy. No, it's not! Oh, okay. I just wanted to switch the words. I get it. Do you? But Honey doesn't just work on desktops. It works on your iPhone, too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go! If you don't already have Honey, you could straight up be missing out. And and by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a salad and supporting the show. Yes. Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash nostalgia. That's joinhoney.com slash nostalgia. Have we learned a lot? We certainly have, honey. Don't call me that. Okay. Really, you couldn't even do the bit where you say you're talking about the company and not me? I just want to make you feel like you're in control. I love you. I love me too. Honey. uses a spell to do Arthur's chores, he turns them both into squirrels to teach him about gravity. This is my favorite part of the movie for two reasons. This squirrel and this squirrel. They are goddamn hilarious. <laughs> Despite Arthur and Merlin having no interest in them, at least I think so, that is Merlin's tale, right? Their downright stalker mentality mixed with a complete misreading of signals cracks me up. My eyes I wish I was a fly on the wall to see these actresses record this crazy gibberish. <laughs> How can you not laugh your ass off at this? Marlon! Marlon! Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> Not to keep harping on this, but Pepe Le Pew got canceled for a lot less than this. Yeah, where in the Disney Plus description does it say squirrel handling like in Chippendale Bar? Yeah, I know I used that joke before, but it's too good to pass up. By George! Merlin turns them back into human, resulting in two very different reactions. One comical. <coughs> which is still hilarious. And the other, bizarrely dramatic. Yeah, it gets out of nowhere heavy here all of a sudden. I tried to tell you. I'm a boy. <laughs> he can't explain to her what's going on and she can't understand him, so she just ends up being totally heartbroken. Now they dwell on it for a little bit. As a kid, I always thought when I got older I would understand this scene more, and honestly, I don't. 
but I kind of appreciate it more for that. I feel like you can read a few things into it. We know the heartbreak Arthur will eventually encounter, so it could be foreshadowing that. This was to teach him about gravity, so maybe showing that all heavy things are physical, they can also be emotional. That love business is a powerful thing. Greater than gravity? I'd say it's the greatest force on Earth. I never fully figured it out, and I really like I never fully figured it out. Love can be complicated, so messages about love can be complicated too. It's weird, as I almost follow it less and less, I grow to enjoy it more and more. But eh, don't worry, we got fighting dishes and shit. Oh, the kitchen! It's under an evil spell! And to be fair, it is pretty funny. <laughs> How'd you like that to be your way to go, suffocated by magic mop? I feel like if the bees didn't fall in love with Belle, that might be how one of the servants ends him. Just because you can't understand something doesn't mean it's wrong. Arthur is punished for sticking up for Merlin and is told he can't be K-Squire. Which, I don't know, sounds like a reward in this case. I'm sorry, lad. I'm sorry, I, I spoiled everything. I like Merlin apologizes even though he doesn't care if Arthur is a squire, but Arthur cares, and he sees that. This will also make for interesting friction later. He tries to make it up to him by giving him an education, though, leading to this simple but kind of inspiring line. What good will that do? Get it first, and who knows? Like I said, the movie can be quietly smart in its own way. He tries to teach him about the science of flight, and that man will in fact fly someday. Archimedes says it's hogwash, and when his proof gets tangled in his beard, we get one of my favorite reactions in the film. <laughs> There's like half a minute of this. Why that long? I don't know, but his laughing makes me laugh. Merlin turns Arthur into a bird and Archimedes decides to show him the technicals of flight. But like underwater, there's also predators in the sky. Jesus, every place has a darkly colored carnivore waiting for him. Careful, I think a vampire lives there. Oh, bat gizzards. We get the closest thing resembling a villain in this, Mad Madam Mim, played by Martha Wentworth. Then she's not really a villain as much as a disgruntled neighbor. A disgruntled neighbor who settles things with death battles. This really is a great character who leads to a lot of comedic moments, but I guess also shows how someone can use magic for their own selfish means. Thus Arthur sees through Merlin the importance of using his own future power for good. Merlin's magic is always, uh, well, useful for something good. Again, nothing major, but a decent little lesson told in a decent little way. With that said, this wizard's duel is both really imaginative and really hilarious. It's got some really great slapstick with some really great animation timing and sound effects. Here I come, him! Ready on! I just love that literally her first move is to cheat. Even before the duel starts, she's cheating. That's just so funny to me. Yes, you wait! You're gonna pay! It may also go without saying, but it's pretty creative no matter what animal they turn into. You can always tell which one is Merlin, which one is Arthur, and which one is Mim. Like from a mile away, you can instantly identify them. It's just a nice little touch from a design point of view. Oh, I win! I win! After Mim cheats for like the tenth time, Merlin finally decides to take her out by becoming a germ and making her sick. I really like he doesn't kill her. Again, this movie is smart to still keep things small and not too heavy. Apart from the one right the shit out of nowhere moment, but again, that makes it unique. Surrender! Surrender! 
After the other squire comes down with the mumps, Arthur is reinstated as squire, which angers Merlin, who sees this as an insulting step backwards. And I thought you were going to amount to something. I thought you had a few brains. But I got the outfit that's going to be on all the advertising. Marketing-wise, this will be quite iconic. In one of the strangest ways to exit a character, Merlin shouts blow me to Bermuda, and as if having no control over it, he's blown to Bermuda. Archimedes is now the even-tempered one helping Arthur out with less than 10 minutes left in the film. Where did he go? To Bermuda, I suppose. Where's that? An island way off somewhere that hasn't been discovered yet. This is so odd, but again, I'll admit, it did leave an impact. As a kid, I always felt bad when he left, even if it was just for a little bit of time. Like he really did get involved and the choice he made really did affect him. It's a bizarre way to show it, but again, it does work in its own strange way. Kay! What? What? I, I forgot your sword. When Arthur realizes he forgot Kay's sword, he rushes to find another one and, well, you know what happens. Watch it, boy! Woof, that thing's haunted. I'll give Kay the stick instead. No, he pulls it out to the amazement of everyone at the tournament. It's the sword in the stone. The sword in the stone. That's great. They put the sword back in, once again proving that nobody can pull it out but Arthur. This boy is our king. Though it's a short moment, it's very warm and satisfying to see. I especially love seeing Hector apologize and Kay slowly but surely realize how wrong he was. Again, it's a quick bit of animation, it's even cut off by a dissolve, but there's a lot being processed in those few seconds that really goes a long way. Arthur is crowned, his voice puberty backpedals again. Archimedes, I wish Merlin was here. Merlin! I'm sorry, that's never not funny to me for some reason. <laughs> And Merlin returns, not apologizing, seeing how him being squire is what led to him pulling the damn sword out to begin with. They'll be writing books about you for centuries to come. Why, they might even make a motion picture about you. With varying results. And that was The Sword in the Stone. Though my opinion does change over time, I do like that it stays with me. It doesn't fall into the usual Disney mold when you think about it. It's not a grand epic, it's not a comedy classic, it's not a small celebration of beauty. It's hard to say what it is, aside from content. It seems very content in its presentation. It's slow, a little odd, but not crazy weird. And it tells its story in a relaxed way that doesn't act like it needs you to like it. It gives a feeling like it's happy enough just existing. Kind of like Arthur is just happy enough existing, yet he can still find more value in terms of what he's capable of. I guess I do constantly find hidden value in this movie, whether it's aware that value is there or not. In fact, I think that's what makes it so appealing. It doesn't feel like it's trying to hook you in with toys or marketable adventures. Whether it was intentional or accidental, there is a humbleness to this film that I think keeps people coming back to it, even if they can't always explain why. Nobody requested me to review this film, it's just one that's always been in the back of my head, and I guess I wanted to figure out why that was. I think I've pointed out the majority of reasons why, but who knows, this film is so one of a kind, maybe there's even more reasons I haven't thought of. It's an interesting film in how much it's not trying to stand out. And in a field where everybody is trying to stand out, I guess doing the opposite can go a long way and even be valued decades later. I'm a nostalgia critic, guy, remember, so you don't have to.
Everyone calls me Wart. Oh. We're continuing cameos for charity, and this month we're doing Kids Cancer Foundation. This is a 501 nonprofit charity founded in 2001 whose mission is to provide hope and support to local children and families battling childhood cancer. They accomplish this by providing compassionate, easily accessible, supportive care services. These are really great people who do really great things. So if you want a cameo from me saying happy birthday or good luck or whatever, click on the link below and be giving to a good cause. And if you're like, screw you, I don't want a cameo from you, well, consider giving to this organization anyway. Whatever you decide, give them a look and do your best to show your support.